0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode four of the Big Gay Book Club, or as I have affectionately started to call it, the Big Gay Book Club. <laughs> um, I'm Chris. I'm Amy. And I we're very excited to talk to you this month about, I was going to say a special little book, but there's nothing little about this book. No, not at all. Um, it is pretty special though. It is Echo by Thomas Old. Um Thank you for the pronunciation guide in the notes.
1: <laughs> yeah, Thomas Olde Huvult.
0: I saw that and I was instantly like, yep, this is our identity now. Trouble pronouncing all these fun names.
1: Well, his name's Dutch. And so there's, you know, Dutch pronunciation, which as Americans, I feel like uh, we're not quite equipped for with our language. We're partially equipped for it.
0: Honestly, That's about how I would have pronounced it anyways, but it's nice to have the um, reassurance.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Uh, And just, we wanted to really early on let everybody kind of know that this episode does come with what I would consider a trigger warning because the books, themes and topics and some of the stuff that happens in it that we might end up discussing are pretty intense, specifically including suicide mentions of addiction and mutilation Mm -hmm. so if we discuss those things it's bound to happen and so if any of that just isn't uh okay with you then this might not be the episode to listen to but we picked a book that was more horror themed for this time of year so i was pretty interested when you told me about this book amy mostly because it'd been so long since I read a horror story. Mm -hmm. And I never really had connected in my brain the idea of something being queer or something being like scary or horror. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in how those two things might combine to tell a story. And I don't know, I think reading this book and how I felt about it in the end – Definitely makes me want to seek out other horror stories grounded in queerness, whether it's just the characters happen to be queer, which I feel like that's kind of the idea of this story, Mm -hmm. or, I don't know, I guess I'd be interested in seeing other ways that those themes could be used in horror.
1: Yeah. Do Uh, you
0: have any... Oh, sorry.
1: Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I was going to say, I don't really know too many others myself. Um, Not being a strong horror reader... But uh, listeners, if you have any recommendations, you are welcome to uh, send us some book titles or authors who might uh, tackle horror with a queer uh, focus. So you can e- send us an email. Do you have our email, Chris?
0: Uh, yes. Our email is thebiggaybookclub at gmail.com. And we actually have received an email since our last episode we recorded. <laughs> Um, From Mark in England, and they said, loving the podcast. I actually listened to the audiobook of um, The House on the Cerulean Sea rather than reading a hard copy. And a lot of our pronunciation queries are answered in there. The narrator is really good. I do recommend it. It's such a wonderful story, and I'm loving your appreciation of it. We'll be tuning in again. Best wishes. So that was really sweet to see. I love to see that kind of getting set up for the podcast today and just reminding myself of kind of why we got into this in the first place it was awesome to see so thank you mark for emailing us
1: thank you mark really really sweet
0: and i will say going from that note to the book we're about to discuss is kind of like a hard right turn but i'm ready for it because i had a fun time reading this book both in how I don't know if I could say scared, I felt, but just uneasy, I guess, is probably Mm -hmm. the best way to describe it. Um, But yeah, it was quite the read. It was the longest read we've done so far, I'd say.
1: It is the longest read. Yeah. So let's just do a little bit of bookkeeping. Uh, Echo by Thomas Olde is a slow burn gothic horror story that takes after and responds to many of the classic horror stories, but with its own twist. Um, So if you read the book, you'll notice that all of the chapter titles are actually taken from um, classic books in this genre. And there's some fun quotes uh, from those books and by the authors. So it's kind of like an homage and a love story to, to classic horror. And it's also a very original and unique take in its own right. Uh, it was released in the U.S. on February 8th of 2022, but it was first written in Dutch and published in the Netherlands on May 7th, 2019, and uh, it was translated by Moshe Gilula. and I'm not sure if I pronounced name correctly, <laughs> but uh, it's really cool to see, you know, the translator get just as much credit on the credits page as the author does, um, and fun fact... Thomas, the author, is a gay writer and uh, the winner of the Hugo Award for Best Novelette. And he actually is the first ever translated author to win. Um, So I think that is a really, really cool accolade. And I just love that there's, you know, definite cred in this book, Echo.
0: Mm -hmm. He also authored Hex, which is... I think the book that might have gotten on the map, because as I was looking into it, there were authors like Stephen King who were Mm -hmm. saying praise for that story. And I actually, I really want to read it because I read about the premise of it after finishing this book, Mm -hmm. and it sounds really cool. So I also follow um, Thomas on Instagram now, and it's been cool to see little slices of his life and his writing and whatnot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He actually is a rock climber himself, and this book deals a lot with mountains and climbing mountains and rock climbing terms that I had to look up in order to understand. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, really cool to see how personal this story is to his life.
0: Yeah, and as somebody who the idea of rock climbing just makes me sweaty Mm -hmm. and having felt like my palms getting sweaty reading some of the passages in this book... I feel like not knowing much about it, I got a pretty good sense of the different aspects of it and the different scenery that comes along with it. Because this book, um, if it does one thing right, it's kind of painting the perfect picture of where you are in your like mind's eye as you're reading it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it helps that there's a pretty haunting, cool image of what I assume is the book's main antagonistical mountain on the cover.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's a great cover. The black birds, the creepy eyes. Would you like me to read? Oh go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was gonna just make one more comment because I love how the cover kind of without even like you wouldn't even you'd think it was more um like suggestive and just an idea and a thought rather than like something that might actually happen in the book. So that was oh, interesting. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's another one of those books where every time you look at the cover as you're reading through the book, you, you find more and more details that feel relevant to the story that you're reading on the pages. Like, I think this is a very masterful cover. hmm. Yeah.
0: And I would say now is a great time to read the back.
1: Awesome. All right. Here we go. Nature is calling. But they shouldn't have answered. Travel journalist and mountaineer Nick Gravers wakes from a coma to find that his climbing buddy, Augustin, is missing and presumed dead. Nick's own injuries are as extensive as they are horrifying. With his face wrapped in bandages and unable to speak, Nick claims amnesia, but he remembers everything. He remembers how he and Augustin were mysteriously drawn to the Maudit, A remote and scarcely documented peak in the Swiss Alps. He remembers how the slopes of Maudit were eerily quiet and how, when they entered its valley, they got the ominous sense that they were not alone. He remembers something was waiting for them. But it isn't just the trauma of the accident that haunts Nick. Something has awakened inside of him, something that endangers the lives of everyone around him. It's one thing to lose your life, it's another to lose your soul
0: spooky spooky yeah and what i think that um synopsis does for the book is sets it up with the intrigue of it all but it also doesn't give too too much away because there's so much that goes on in this book there's like sub Plots and substories that are happening. Mm-hmm. There, at some point, it spans like continents in terms mm-hmm. of um, its settings. There's just it's a big book, both in like how long it is, but also like all the stuff that's happening in it. Even though overall, I felt like it felt confined as well to the characters that were driving the story.
1: Yeah, that is one thing I would say. The synopsis doesn't do is it doesn't mention like one of the main characters and like what i like to think of as the primary protagonist Mm -hmm. of the story he's not mentioned at all but that's uh it's nick's boyfriend sam avery that's not a spoiler that's like a very well-known thing
0: (laughs) yep very early it's like it's not something that develops in the book it's just something that was true as the story begins Mm -hmm. um and i think their relationship was one of the key things that kept me reading honestly yeah like he talked a lot about um kind of the strings that tied them together and as somebody who related to some of the stories about how they met and the things they like to do mm-hmm. as gay people was um nice and refreshing cuz it's just like reading about people that are like me In doing things that are supernatural and sometimes downright terrifying just because Mm -hmm. of the way the story takes them. But it's really grounded in, like, characters that you believe. For sure. Uh, And I always like to ask you, and I'm sure you'll start asking me eventually when I start recommending again. But what drew you to this book, Amy? Since you're the one that recommended it to me.
1: Yeah. um, I. This is... I think the most removed I've been to a book that we've read uh, f- for when we're recording it, because I read this back in July, and it's it's currently November. Um, and,
0: and just, I, I think I finished it over a month ago now.
1: I think you did too, yeah. I think you had it finished in time for, for uh, Spooktober.
0: I did. I had it finished before Halloween.
1: Yeah, so I don't quite remember how exactly I picked this one up, but I have... A sense. I know I got it from the library, and I think I might have seen its cover. Like it might have been one of the featured books, or it just might have been one of those books on the shelf that, instead of being um, displayed spine out, maybe the the front cover was out. But I mean, even if it was spine out, the spine is very, very large. It's over four hundred pages. This book, so um, it's a beautiful cover. So I definitely judged it by that, and I think I just picked it up based off of. Uh, off of the cover I really I don't read book flaps before I, I p- pick up the books mm-hmm. so I just had a good sense about this book when I started um, and by the time that I finished reading it ooh, ooh, I, I just knew Chris that this was going to be a book you would enjoy probably more even than I did um, yeah that's
0: what I was wondering if you feel like I mean we'll learn as we do the podcast uh-huh. but do you have a sense based on how we've talked about it already briefly that I enjoyed it more than you
1: yeah So, because you like horror stories more than I do, Mm -hmm. I I thought this would be right up your alley. I also really felt like this was a rare find in terms of books. Like, as you were saying, it's it's not every day that you come across a horror story where the characters are queer. I think mostly because in a lot of queer-related horror, the queerness is being punished. Like, the folks who are queer, they're usually the first ones to die, or they have the most horrific things happen to them, and it's like the heteronormative, you know, straight aligned characters who seem to be the ones who make it to the end who are the more heroic. Um, And so I just really liked seeing the queerness in this book um, and the author's gay, you know, the characters are outwardly gay or not outwardly, out, they're just out. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) And it just felt really, really special that like, you know, it's just a casual thing about them. They're not being punished for being queer. You know, the characters in this book, they have other reasons why these things are happening to them. Um, and I just, really, I just really thought you would like it.
0: I did. And I was wondering, was it surprise gay to you? Or did you know going into it that it was?
1: Surprise gay. Like I said in the See, book flap, they don't mention the boyfriend at all.
0: Yeah. Um, which is kind of exciting. You, could probably, you started reading this not even knowing. And then if I had been... Yeah. And if I had been you in that position, not knowing ahead of time, I would be like, oh, this is a nice treat. Like, this is just cool to see.
1: Yeah. And I think I think actually a big you said this book is very like tight character driven, like it feels pretty enclosed in terms of of the makeup and the themes of being so character driven and i would say equal parts to this being a horror story it's a love story Mm -hmm. and the one thing that we don't really get in this book is romance necessarily there's talk of romance but it's not a romantic book i i wouldn't say but the love story being so on par with the horror i think is what makes this feel so compelling
0: yeah um and just both watching as the horrific thing that's happening develops but also seeing the development of how it's impacting this pretty solid relationship it feels like at the start mm-hmm. and yeah it was it was quite the trip
1: yeah so do you want to talk about some of your favorite things about this book without getting yes and no spoilers yet we'll have yes. a spoiler section uh, halfway through we'll make sure we make it very loud and uh prominent when we're going to start talking about spoilers but for now what are some of your favorite things?
0: Some of my favorite things are I was I so I started reading this book in a car ride with some of my friends who went to Ikea and Mm -hmm. it was a long ride so I brought a book and I was reading and they were asking me um what I thought about it and I was just used the phrase very Stephen King, but gay because I've <laughs> yeah. read a lot of Stephen King. I read a lot of Stephen King when I was a teenager, mm. um, and early college. I don't know why, but I think probably because my mom loved it so much, so I kind of got into it. Fair, and that's kind of where my horror reading began, and my love for it. And I love lots of horror stuff, including like movies and video games, comics. So it's pretty natural that I'm also drawn to these types of stories. Um, And I was reading it around, like, the perfect time of year for it to hit differently, you know? Mm -hmm. And I felt like, despite some of the stories and some of, I feel like, even the characters' misgivings, I felt extremely connected to the main character of Sam, who is gay. So I felt connected to him that way and just some of his more normal struggles Mm -hmm. throughout the story um were pretty relatable to me and i really enjoyed uh thomas's writing style and like the wry humor and sass of his main character really jumped off the page and had me chuckling at parts even though this is not a funny story the character Mm -hmm. is pretty darn funny in the way he talks and like the way he thinks and like a very quippy sort of character that was really well developed Yeah, he definitely Uh,
1: uses that as like his coping mechanism, I think, like the joking and the laughter.
0: 100%. And then like, even in the gravest of times, that's when it comes out the most because Mm -hmm. he is being kind of, um, I don't know what the right word is like, terse? No, that's not the right word. Just like very inappropriate, but in a way... That's, maybe that's the best word. Inappropriate in a way to alleviate the tension he's feeling. Yeah. Which is a like a relatable coping mechanism, right?
1: For sure, yeah.
0: And especially fun when he's making like gay references that um, you can relate to. Uh, I also re- really appreciated that the main relationship in the story was a queer one. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story itself was really not ever about that their relationship was interwoven within the complexities of the events that were happening Mm -hmm. and it was just fun to read from beginning to end fun is i i always use that word fun i don't like it's not fun reading about the trauma these characters experienced but it was definitely engaging maybe is the better word
1: yeah that's a good way to put it
0: um i also really liked like just the creeping dread I felt throughout this book starts on like the rip roaringest of notes and it kind of makes you just clamor for the rest of it which is really good thing because at some points early on that rip roaring speed kind of grinds to a screeching halt at points Mm -hmm. I felt and I think you'll get into that too later yeah so what were some of your favorite things about the book
1: Oh, gosh. Um,
0: if there are any.
1: <laughs> there, there are definitely favorite okay. things that I like about the book. I definitely see a lot of merit in here. Um, I don't know on the surface how much I can say I, I liked this book. But I don't regret reading it. And I feel like a, a, a kind of sense of triumph having gotten through the book. Like,
0: Would you say you felt like you successfully scaled a large mountain?
1: I would. It did feel... <laughs> It felt insurmountable at the start, and then I feel like I really like I overcame a gauntlet or something like that. Mm-hmm. It just it, I feel like a triumph, having made it through to the end. Um, and so uh, that was that was something I really liked that the experience of reading the book felt like the theme of the book, which is like climbing a mountain. Um, I really like the atmosphere. Just like you, um, you know, the the horror and the, oh my gosh, what's happening next? Like the world building just kept sucking me back in. Um, there were lower points for me. Uh, so like the narration and the pacing, I didn't like quite as much. But despite those, I feel like the book's story just really crept into my life. Um, dare I say it possessed me? yes please do it just wouldn't let me go until i finished the book like i i would set this book aside for days just to like rest and then i would keep thinking about it helplessly like i was i was subconsciously thinking about this book all of the time and so i had Mm -hmm. to return to it um i found myself genuinely worried for the characters as we go which just shows how deeply attached i felt towards them even if i didn't particularly like them um and then there was this this point, like around halfway. Uh, I like to think of it as the point of no return. Sometimes in books, that comes really, really early. Uh, in this book, it was about halfway. Uh, but then the pages started just melting away. Like, so if you find yourself reading this book and think it's really difficult to get into it, you're not alone. You just got to give it more time because the more time that I put into this book, the more well worthwhile I felt it was to read. It's just, it's not a... It's not a surface-level book, you know?
0: No, not at all. And I feel like I agree with a lot of what you said because the characters at times can be a little unlikable in the decisions mm-hmm. they're making. We'll mm-hmm. get more into it in the spoiler territory. But the nature of the conflict in this book puts the characters at odds with like their environment and themselves. So mm-hmm. they start to make choices that you might not agree with, but you also kind of understand because of the forces at play.
1: For sure. I do think that the characters, they had motivations and were always working towards their own personal objectives. Mm-hmm. And if that contrasted with other characters or it conflicted with the plot, like, well, they just had to deal. And that is, that is what we saw. We saw their struggle with that. Yeah.
0: So did you want to, I think, probably transitions pretty well into was there anything that you didn't quite jive with as you were reading this story
1: yeah yeah um a lot actually uh Mm -hmm. this book just took me far too long to get into like i said that that point of no return was at the halfway point of the book for me and if this book didn't haunt me so much and make me really want to continue reading despite all of my efforts to stop. Um, I probably would have not finished this book uh, a long time before that. All I'll to say, like, I really, really loved the opening. There's this, the first chapter, um, which is super fun. It's got uh, one of those names after this, the horror stories. Uh, what was the name of the one? Something wicked this way comes. Yes. It's, the it's prologue.
0: I really oh. liked that
1: it's so it was so compelling and it hooked me immediately like i had major major chills the entire way through but then we do like a 180 and we get into sam's narration um, and it's just like his style I don't know if it was the translation or if it was just you know the way the character is characterized but he was just too much he was too much and I feel <laughs> too like much is
0: perfect way to say it
1: he softens as the book goes on and you find more empathy and sympathy for him and you understand like you know that coping mechanism of his jokes but I felt like it was really really jarring like the first few chapters with Sam and I had a difficult time getting into just his prose um so because he's like the primary protagonist and narrator, I felt like there's just a lot of his, and I know that you love his stories. So it just took me longer to love him too.
0: Do you feel like, this made me think of something as you were saying that, do you feel like the opening chapter at one point in this book's plotting wasn't the opening chapter? Do you think they put it there more for that narrative Mm -hmm.
1: hook? That's a really good question. Because it does... It does feel very different from everything else. I mean, prologues don't have to be in never, yeah. the narration style as anything else. You know, they don't have to have a prologue. But I do wonder if maybe some feedback was like early feedback was, you know, it's really hard to get into this. It almost yeah. read like a short story, like a separate, separate story.
0: I was thinking that if I had read that on its own, I feel like. I would have just felt like it had a bow on top of it and it was exactly what it needed to be Mm -hmm. like, and we'll get into it in spoilers, but how it ties into the book um, was really, I thought well done, but took a little bit long to get to. I wish we'd gotten to it sooner.
1: Me too. I kept like, I actually reread the prologue about halfway through the book just to remind myself of it and because I had enjoyed it so much and I still didn't know where it was supposed to tie in Mm -hmm. with the book. And I was like, when is this going to happen? When is, when is this going to come to pass? Are we going to have more narration like this? Like, is the pacing going to feel as chilling? Cause it's, it's a very, very, very slow burn of a book.
0: I think slow burn is the exact way to describe it. So as for me, Mm -hmm. I agree with you on the pacing. Uh, It starts so – fast isn't the best word, but, like, so gripping. Mm -hmm. And then you're instantly, like, kind of, like, thrown backward and have a much wider view on the Mm. story. Yeah. And you're left wondering, what did I just read? And so much so that when it eventually becomes relevant again, I didn't remember exactly the stuff that happened in it. And I didn't have the patience at the time to go back and reread it like you did, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why I wish it had – mattered sooner yeah you know um and i also i've never been a huge fan of varied delivery methods in stories i don't know why i just like this story uses like manuscripts and journals and narratives Mm -hmm. and very different voices in those things and at one point towards the end there's a completely left field like this new character we just met has like a Fifteen-page manual, oh, like yeah. yep. part that they get to include in the story, and I don't know. Whenever that happens, I feel like you just want to get back to this other thing you're used to. Yeah. Um. So that's more of a personal preference. I'm sure there are people who actually enjoy that version of storytelling. Um. Like I am sometimes a fan of varied perspective stories that kind of jump between perspectives. Um. But. Thomas did a pretty good job of, like, varying the writing style he used in mm-hmm. these different things. Like, Nick had this manuscript of events. Sam's stuff was more, like, how you might actually read, a, like, a first-person type story. Mm-hmm. Very, like, much that character-driven. Um, So, yeah, it was really interesting how unique those different voices were.
1: Yeah, but I, I know what you mean, though, because it was it would throw me any time that we would switch from like, I I would just start getting used to Sam's first person narrative. And then we would get into uh, a diary entry for a different character. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to like go through that transition period again of getting back into, you know, Sam's narration or the, the vibe of this diary entry. And it, it it did throw the pace off a lot.
0: Yeah. And it was even like Nick manuscript, but Nick also had a journal that he would right mm-hmm. and so there were like many many different types of delivery methods for the story
1: yeah and but, go ahead
0: i think it worked to its benefit in some points and then to its detriment in some points
1: yeah kudos to the author though because that is very very difficult to tackle and i think that he really nailed the unique voice for every character
0: mm-hmm i ended up I think liking, I think we ended up liking different characters the most, but I ended up liking Sam the most.
1: I like Julia the most.
0: Yeah. And I feel <laughs> like I would have too, if I had gotten more of her, like I wanted Same. more of her.
1: Same, me too. I think that, go ahead.
0: She's the character that grounds, that makes Sam more likable, I feel like, Ooh, you know? Ooh,
1: that's a great way of putting it. But yes, that, she does do that. She has like this tempering effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like this book is a lot. And I think it was just there's too many characters, too many subplots. I understand why, like the purpose that they serve. But I do wonder if some of it could have been cut or combined to make for a stronger and more consistently paced narrative.
0: So as for recommending this book, at this point, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would i might like i really feel like thomas is a great writer who can tell a great story i almost want to read
1: hex i want
0: to read hex and be like okay based on what i've heard about it i feel like that's the book that i would recommend to get into thomas and thomas's writing and then once you're sold on that this i feel like you'd be more connected to him as an author and this Mm. book would hit hit more correctly for you Like, having this being my first book I read of his, uh, it's just, it's gonna be hard for some people to get into fully within the time it would take them. Like, I know a lot of people maybe read maybe, like, 50 to 100 pages before they really decide if they're going to finish a 400-plus page book. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the people who... I'm the type of person who, like, if it if a person tells me, oh, you really just got to, like, get through the first season then the show gets really good, I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, then I'm not watching it. Because, yeah. like, <laughs> it's not worth it for me to... Like, I feel like Sam told me that about Parks and Rec, maybe, which I disagree with. I think the first season of that show is perfectly fine and good and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I... If somebody told me that, it would turn me away from the book. And, like, you already said that. I already agreed with it. So I think for a lot of people that might be a turnoff. And I would say that because I feel like it's the honest truth. I think it's worth finishing because, like, even if I didn't jive with the ending, like, I wanted it to be happier. Not all stories have happy endings, right? Mm -hmm. And I can respect that. And I can also understand why it concluded the way it did. But... Yeah. I want to read Hex. This book, what I think this book did is it sold me on Thomas as a writer because I think he's great. Mm-hmm. And it sold me on the fact that I feel like I want to read a different piece of his prose that might be more grounded in, I don't know, more grounded.
1: More grounded. Yeah. I I feel similarly. I... I think I would recommend this book, but with very strong caveats. Yes. You've, you just got to know the person that you're recommending this to, because as we're saying, this book is not for everybody. And a lot of readers just might not have that time that the book requires you to sink into it. Um, and the book itself doesn't hold your hand or do any favors to get you invested.
0: Yeah. And I want to also say, like, I don't think us recommending or not recommending speaks to this book's value as like, a story it's just really a discussion of like everybody's different and I think you just made a really good point like if you read this and you know the type of person you'd be recommending it to like I probably have people I would recommend this book to for sure because I feel like they drive with it and then I have people who I don't think I'd recommend this book to because I don't think they'd end up enjoying it it's that type of book that could be polarizing Mm -hmm. for the people who would like it versus the people who wouldn't
1: that all being said I recommended it to you
0: yeah, exactly, and I ended up enjoying it. Like mm-hmm. that's a weird thing to say like I'd have a hard time <laughs> recommending this to everybody, but I personally enjoyed it. Like that is what it boils down to. I think it's because it's such a interesting and niche story that's doing things that are very different.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if you're looking for a unique tale and it has a storytelling style and a scope that's unlike a lot of the books out there, then uh, give us one a try.
0: Awesome. So I think that means it's time for our spoiler territory.
1: Spoiler territory.
0: Okay. I hope you, now that we've started this whole transition thing, I need you to say it like that every time. Cause whenever I listen back to these episodes, <laughs> that makes me smile every time.
1: Good. You got it.
0: Perfect. Awesome. So we'll be back in a sec with big spoilers. So if you haven't read the book yet, you should stop listening now, pick it up and then return afterwards. Okay, everybody. We are back to spoilers now and this is where we are going to talk about things that specifically happened in the book including potentially the ending and things that happened to characters and the main plot and stuff so if you want to absorb all that as you're reading uh yeah just like I said before the break you definitely should listen here so we always kind of start with a um discussion of the characters in the book so as we're talking about them you kind of know what part they play in the story. And then we also leads into discussions just kind of about the big overall arching plot of the story. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to get into specifics, like we'll jump around to different things in the book that we liked, which means we won't always get to everything, especially the big things that other people might've liked. So if you do notice anything that we don't talk about that you wish we had, feel free to email us at that email I said earlier in the show. Because we've already talked about it, and we definitely will bring those things up at the beginning of our episodes if we hear from people. Okay, so we've already talked about Nick and Sam. Nick is one of the two central characters of this story, he is a mountaineer, and the way I feel like Thomas describes it in the book is probably as a mountaineer himself, a lot of this does come from his own personal experience. Mm -hmm. But it almost seems like Nick is the type of person who is doing this hobby as a way to, like, seek out that high you get from um, climbing mountains like this and reaching their peaks and ascending them and then descending them. Especially, it's really talked about how, like, you do it as a pair of people because you always have like a climbing buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also can feel so isolating when you're up there. But you also just, there were so many passages in Nick's perspective where you just get a sense of how it makes that character feel in yeah. like accomplishing these amazing feats of strength and just perseverance.
1: Yeah, I remember pretty distinctly, um, he talks about climbing mountains, like it consumes him, like he'll see a mountain and he knows he has to climb it. And then he has this quirky habit, when he reaches the top, he actually takes the summit, like the rock, the physical rock, and breaks it off of the mountain peak. And then it's like the spell that was over him has broken and he no longer has that obsession or compulsion to climb the mountain. And um, that actually comes into play when he climbs the Maudit, which is the cursed mountain in the center of the story. Um, he climbs the mountain and he's with his climbing buddy, Augustine, And they're being possessed or something by the, the spirit of the mountain and the soul, maybe Maudit's soul. But as soon as he reaches the top, he has that habit of breaking off the, the peak Um, and has the stone in his hand and then it's like that spell of possession just broke and that it seems to to be insinuating that that is actually what allows him to climb back down the mountain
0: Mm -hmm. and something I want to bring up because it kind of speaks to how expansive this book feels both in like time and setting like we get Nick's whole like origin story essentially Mm. throughout this book because Mm -hmm. we get the story of how he was camping with his parents in these same mountains when he was a child and being like drawn into the mountains and he lied to his mother um about what he was doing because she didn't want him to climb it but he went ahead and climbed it by himself anyways and he had this whole like experience pretty pretty pivotal like person defining experience when he was um, a teenager, and it kind mm-hmm. of set him in motion in this path that would eventually lead him in, lead him to this mountain that ultimately would be his downfall. Yeah. Because, like, him and Augustine went on this mountaining trip uh, that Sam, his boyfriend, always wished he wouldn't because of how dangerous it was. Um, but all throughout this mountaining trip, they saw this strange mountain, the mod in the distance. And they kept trying to look into it and figure out more about it. But nobody would talk about it. And there was so much mystery surrounding it. And yet they were still so driven to it because Mm -hmm. of how pristine and beautiful it looked. And it's just like all throughout Nick's perspective, you just get this haunting, foreboding sense that this is all going to go so wrong.
1: Yeah. I had this like overwhelming sense of inevitability like this this overbearing weight of inevitability when it came Mm -hmm. to Nick's and 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 I it's maybe something that I've just been thinking about more you know that whole debate over like free will versus destiny and I feel like in this book Nick has destiny like it was very inevitable that he would end up climbing to the top Mm. of the Maudit and get possessed by it but I feel like Sam has free will and I think that is played up a lot in the way that they are narrators. Sam, as the boyfriend and the person that this did not directly happen to, and he's just hearing Nick talk about a story uh, through this manuscript that he's written in his diary entries. Sam's the only one who has um, like that first person. There's There's first person narration in Nick's manuscript, but because it's delivered to us, not like a book's narration, but as like, a a material like a a published material or whatever you want to call it it doesn't feel like a primary narration in the same way and i i think it's just really interesting that like we're reading about nick from sam's perspective
0: yeah and i think to ground our listeners in this um story's conflict the big thing that happened was nick uh well it's really hard. I can't explain it it's all. So but complex. something happens it's something happens on the mountain where Nick's face gets mutilated. And he eventually does get rescued from this mountain, which actually turns out to be really wild that it happened because like nobody generally gets rescued when they're climbing this mountain. Mm-hmm. Um and he returns from this mountain and the mountain has possessed him like literally possessed him and in early in the story it's not super clear if that's what happened or if it's kind of just trauma like sam Mm -hmm. especially thinks it's just trauma um so like sure the prologue very spooky very supernatural but you're never really quite sure if it's like actually happened that way like maybe it was a character's perspective maybe this book isn't going to have supernatural kind of like fantasy elements in it Mm -hmm. and it feels like it's building up to that for like the first hundred pages and there's eventually a scene where you're 100% for sure this book is dealing in supernatural stuff yes and that was one of the pivotal moments for me when I started Mm -hmm. to get more hooked on it nice yeah so Um, This happens to Nick. He ends up in the hospital and Sam, his boyfriend, is there. It also really traumatized because it's this whole idea. I really appreciated this story, too. It was very nuanced and very well told. This whole idea of, like, I've been in this, like, not casual, but pretty significant relationship with this person for a few years now. And then this huge medical thing happens to them that permanently disfigures their... Um, appearance and it's mm-hmm. kind of like the inner battle that you'd have as that person's partner and I thought like I really appreciated the honesty that this story was told with and that kind of idea was explored with because I had not really seen too much um, either like television movie or read too many books about this type of like event and the repercussions and all the stuff that happens to everybody yeah. involved in it
1: yeah because they're young they're in their 20s. They're
0: super young. They're I mean, they're younger than us now.
1: They're younger than us now. I feel like Nick was mid 20s and Sam was early 20s if yeah. I'm remembering correctly. And another thing too is Sam is is quite shallow. Like he, you know, he Oh, has, yes. He has his depths and complexities and he looks for that, but he's he's so young. He, he they met in a gym, you know, and and they were originally attracted to each other physically before they got to know each other. And I just think one of the most haunting things about this book is the fact that there's so much potential that's wasted. You know, the potential of this is a young hot guy in a couple with another young hot guy and one of their hotnesses has been forever, like, mutilated. Mm-hmm. And, and you're... Go ahead.
0: And that's... Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Um, but I... Sorry, I wanted you to finish because I wanted to hear what you were going to say.
1: Yeah, it's just... um let me see if I can remember my thread. Uh, <laughs> there is just so much time ahead of them still. Time for them to grow a deeper relationship. Like, they're both still so young that, you know, a lot of times when you think of like the, you know, till death to his part in sickness and in health. It's like, oh, you know, we're elderly now and one of us is bedridden. But it's like, no, one of them is bedridden in their 20s. And mm-hmm. they haven't yet made vows to each other. But, you know, they're on that trajectory. and. So it kind of, there's a very serious question of like, am I going to stick by his side or not? Do I essentially waste the youth that I still have where I could be pursuing different, different relationships or different things from life? Or basically, do I saddle myself with this person who we didn't even know if he was going to ever talk again?
0: Yeah, and Sam does come to terms with that really early on and actually like mm-hmm. leaves and This story takes place in Europe, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: Sam goes back to where he's from in New York, Mm -hmm. and we kind of see Sam removing himself from that, but also not being able to, and eventually does return. But we get this whole kind of backstory, pivotal moment in Sam's childhood Mm -hmm. where he, as a young gay boy, was discovering himself and also set fire accidentally to his grandparents' cabin high up in a New York mountain. Mm -hmm. And there's this like really gripping and also quite terrifying portrayal of this like image of his grandfather saving them from that fire and pulling them down this mountain in the snowstorm that they were in. And it's just like, that is so prevalent. It's brought up even in the last pages of the book, this like character defining event in um, Sam's life. And I actually really, really, really liked how this was used throughout the book because it's this idea that this event happens to you and in your brain, like you, the person's brain, you overblow it. It becomes almost a fairy tale, like a folklore in your brain about how it happened. And -hmm. it becomes fantastical and supernatural. And it was probably the least supernatural part of this book, but this child's brain all throughout his life, he has um, like built it up and built it up and built it up. And he blamed himself and he was the one to blame. And it eventually, um, I feel like come to a conclusion where him and his sister, Julia are finally talking about it. And mm-hmm. she's just like, yeah, you saved us that night. You woke us all up. And that was her perception. And she had kind of stopped thinking about it. Like it was mm-hmm. just an event that had happened to her that sure was probably traumatic for her, but like, their grandparents saved them they were fine they made it out safely but to sam he it everything he does in this story it almost feels like is affected by that one event and it was a really interesting i think like that happens so frequently where we have these like life defining events that in our brains are so much more than anybody else might perceive them to be you know
1: right yeah outsized for sure
0: yeah i i just i really that was one of the threads in this book that I was happy to see used so prominently because it was really interesting. It and was. It made, yeah. Yeah, no, go ahead. Um, it made me understand Sam more almost.
1: For sure. I think, and I think that's one of the aspects where him being queer does actually come very prominently into into influence because this like you know understanding himself understanding his sexuality and kinks if you will uh, yeah at such a young age where he doesn't have many examples of that of like being queer in life like and in society so he he hears the story of prometheus and just really really resonates with that character and that figure and i think that it's also part of what draws him to Nick as the mountain, as the Maudit. And the reason that he like, you know, even after hearing all the horrific things and seeing what's underneath the bandages on his mutilated face, like it's, it's one of the things that's even more than his previous relationship with Nick. It's like the new future potential that makes, makes him want to stay. And it all comes back to that, that callback of him in the cabin, discovering what he wants.
0: Mm-hmm. So, moving on from Nick and Sam, I was very excited to find that our cute furry companion count has climbed to four for this novel. Four for four. Yep. We have Ramses, who is their cat, who actually makes the trip with them from where they live in where, uh, Amsterdam, I think. I think it's Amsterdam. The, yeah. To the Swiss yeah. Alps. And actually lives with them in like their chalet they're renting off of, um, what's that website you use to Airbnb, Airbnb? Essentially, yeah. yeah. And uh, not a super pivotal character, but still used to pretty good effect in some parts, which mm-hmm. was nice. Like yeah, the they it kind of um, Ramses is the character that tells you kind of who's good and who's bad in this story. Yep. Like drawn to Nick in times when Nick is kind of at his lowest points and supportive, but then later on, very like, I don't like Nick anymore. Nick is not mm-hmm. Nick anymore. So Ramsey's is a great tell of who you can kind of feel most comfortable with in the story at times.
1: Yep. And I also thought it was really interesting that because he's a cat, uh, there is this little side details about uh, these black I think they're like mountain chuffs or something. Yes, uh, and they come into play. Not only are they coming out of Dick's face, but uh, they are treated like these houses for the souls of the departed who have climbed the mountain. And so they're kind of like the ancestors of this, you know, Swiss town. And they're the ones who are the the heralds of danger when when the mountain is at its strongest. Um and so we have this this one troubling scene where Ramses the cat gets out and actually gets one of those birds, like as a cat will do. Um and it's so worrisome that like, oh no, this this cat has basically eaten someone's ancestor. Mm-hmm. What are we gonna do?
0: <laughs> I that town had its own personality and it was it not is. a not a good one.
1: <laughs> no, no, it was a pretty spooky town. Um
0: uh, but it was t- it was, what's the word? It was kind of developed in a really interesting way because we kind of discovered it with the characters. Yeah, and I, I really did enjoy the, um, almost like the, like the word I used earlier, folklore of it all. Like this town has these stories that are like so baked into its history that you almost wonder if everything is just being overblown. You know. Hmm. Um, With these birds and with this mountain that can have this effect on people. And it feels at times like it could just be um, all the story that people are blowing out of proportion. But then like you, I say you see, but you read like the actual things that are happening and you like, you know, it's more than that. Yeah. Uh, Then we have Julia, who the book actually starts with. Mm -hmm. And it it takes a little while before you make the connection that that Julia is Sam's sister. But essentially what happens is um, Sam, his one connection to what I'd call the real world outside of his little bubble that is the situation he finds himself in with Nick in Grimace is – that's what it's called, right? Grimace?
1: Grimace, I think. Grimace. Oh, my
0: God. I was saying Grimace like grimacing. Mm -hmm. Um, Grimace is his – being able to like contact his sister via FaceTime or on the phone. Yeah. Um, and eventually I think something happens to his phone and he can't contact Julia, but Julia gets worried enough that she actually comes to the mountain to um, be with Sam and Nick. Uh yeah. And that's how she ends up in the cabin. Yeah. And do we want to get into how that first scene works its way into the story? Sure, because this is actually going to bring me into that thing I was telling you I wanted to talk about.
1: Oh, so yeah, eventually go go for it. Well, I was just going to say, like, I really, really love Julia's story. She's my favorite character. She makes Sam more likable because Mm -hmm. you get to see the way that she sees Sam, which is a lot from the innocence of a a younger sister. Yeah, it's a really great perspective. mm -hmm.
0: And she is the most removed at the time she comes into it, so the moddit has had less time to warp her perception, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because that's what like all throughout this story, it's discovered that being possessed by the mountain, the mod the moddit, Nick has like as essentially imagine he has this aura surrounding him, and anybody who comes close to him or into contact with him, um, starts to become possessed by it too. And all of them eventually end up committing suicide a lot of the Mm -hmm. times, right? Because Mm -hmm. of this mountain's effect on them. So Nick is kind of like this harbinger of death almost throughout this story. And Julia ends up in the story pretty late so that mountain doesn't get to have that sort of effect on her as it has had on other characters. So she's kind of like the biggest voice of reason in the end when it's needed most. Mm -hmm. But the deal is that eventually this um, nurse I think I think it was Cecile who told Sam about this person way back up in um, like Northern Europe. I don't remember exactly where, who was in the hospital with Nick when all the people started dying. It was like this whole deal where people thought it was like this disease that spread throughout this hospital and a bunch of people died. Um, It actually later turns out we find out via this character that it was all Nick, like, Nick was the person who was um, essentially bringing the mod it, and it was, like, emanating from him into these people that were all um, being possessed by it. But anyways, what Sam has to do is he has to leave Julia alone at this cabin in the Swiss Alps with Nick. And what I felt was crazy about this was that, like... Sam does this knowing Julia doesn't know the full situation Mm -hmm. it feels very um irresponsible of him to do that but that's besides the point because what the big thing is like he travels almost like 10 hours away to get this information that he feels like he needs and there's like this huge big journey right at the end of the book and Mm -hmm. I don't know why but as I was thinking about this like earlier on in this podcast do you know what book I thought about that did something similar to this I felt the name of the wind
1: Oh! at
0: the end of that book, the main character takes this journey. And it's been so long since I read that. And I don't remember too much about what it is, but I feel like I've also read other books where this is something that happens towards the end. Like the character has to take this big journey that happens over a really short span of the book, just to do something pivotal to move the plot along. You know, do you have, do you Mm -hmm. feel like you've experienced that sort of thing before in a book?
1: I feel like it's it's definitely familiar, but I think it's it's something that's happening more and more recently in books, and not as much previously. Like I think earlier than these books, The Name of the Wind, uh, Echo. I feel like the big journey is the entire story in those books, and now it's more of like a side thing. And I think it's a. I wonder if it's a shift in the stakes not getting any smaller but the scope of the setting and like what the story is like in a very character driven story it makes sense for the story to feel like it's taking place in between people rather than in different locations
0: and the reason why this trip is so pronounced in the book and kind of so important is not only does sam kind of it feels like he gets the information he needs, but also doesn't fully in a sense. But mm-hmm. while he's gone, that's when the opening prologue scene happens to Julia. And yeah. it's like, I actually really liked it from Sam's perspective, too, because he's in a car stuck on a highway driving back. And like, he's literally like driving behind this plow truck in the mountain because mm-hmm. it's snowing snow bad. And Julia's just on the phone in his ear, like terrified beyond her imagination about what is happening to her in that cabin um yeah. and when sam eventually gets back to the cabin like she's gone and it's a really like terrifying um scene because i feel like just like you i really liked julia and I was like i don't want anything to happen to her especially
1: yeah i think that's what maybe that's if they didn't have the prologue depicted before, like if they didn't plan on having a prologue at the beginning of the book, it makes so much sense just to heighten the tension that you feel when Sam is on his way back from that like harrowing 10-hour drive. Uh and he's rushing as fast as he can. And it's like the storm is trying to slow him down, like him specifically, to prevent him from coming back <gasps> to the valley. And you already know or you think you know what happens to Julia because you read it in the prologue. And so now you're getting it from Sam's End, where, you know, in the prologue, you were hearing how Julia was purposefully making her voice sound like nothing was wrong, like she was not scared, even though she was terrified for her life. Um, and so she's trying to act normal, and her phone battery is dying. And Nick is like, oh, I'm trying to move faster. And I think, or am I saying Nick? Sam. Sam's yeah, in the car. Same. But Nick has gone missing. And so that's another thing, too. Julia was supposed to be watching Nick, but Nick left. Nick is run away. He's gone somewhere and his phone's off and Sam can't reach him. And so the three big players, you know, you got Nick, you got Sam and you have Julia and they're all not together and you don't really know what's going to happen with any of them. And it's, it's very effective and scary.
0: Yep. I, I really like, I, I brought this whole like character needs to leave main setting to go do this thing and return to the main setting up because it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite thing that it can be done in a book. I'm finding, like, mm-hmm. I. It just is one of those things that like can happen in television or movie, and you're just like, I really wish it hadn't happened. Like, I really wish you'd chosen to do this a different way. Like, it feels yeah. like there might have been a better, like, like unnecessary conflict almost.
1: Yeah, there's and and this borderlines on that for the fact that Nick. No, Sam. I'm getting them confused. Sam doesn't have all of the answers after that trip. So it was like, mm-hmm. what was the point? Why Why did he have to travel so far? But there's also something to be said about this orbit that is around the Maudit or, you know, around Nick as the possessed one. Um, and, and Sam finds more power further away from him. He's more himself, mm-hmm. I find. 100%. Um, even, and it gives him the opportunity to like ask, like, you know, I know that Julia still there, but is it really worth it for me to go back right now when I know that I'm knowingly putting myself back in danger and can't really do anything to help? So I think that's, that is a very powerful motivation. And I do think that's the intentionality between him having to leave so far. Hmm.
0: So I feel like I rambled for a bit there, but I think my biggest thing I wanted to get to was just this whole like i would call it almost like the climatic scene right like where Mm. he's racing back nick has disappeared julia has essentially finally i guess finally been captured by the mountain like i see Mm -hmm. that whole scene as the mountain finally possessing her too because like those are the those ghosts those black ghosts that are kind of It's so haunting now that I'm thinking about it again. Like she's in the bed and she like hears something and then she goes to the stairs and she sees those people just standing at the bottom and then she goes back to the bed and then she goes and looks and they've creeped closer and then they've creeped closer and then she's in bed and now they're around the corner and now she's underneath the covers and like she feels something like getting onto the bed Mm -hmm. and like she soils herself because she's so scared and then that's where it ends, and then we eventually find out what happens after, but except we don't really find out what happens later, she's just not there anymore, and she's on top of the mountain, and Sam goes after her, and it's just, yeah, it it's really, really terrifying in, like, a really well-written way.
1: Can I tell you two things that I thought were the most terrifying about it?
0: Please, please.
1: Um, the first one is that these ghosts don't have eyes. Yes. And that's how you know that they're ghosts and that they're from the mountain because those uh, mountain chuffs, those black birds actually peck out the eyes of all of those who go up the mountain. And so the souls that come back down don't have eyes. And then the second thing is that as long as she's watching them, they don't move. But whenever she looks away, they come closer. <gasps> what does that sound like to you? The
0: Weeping Angels. The Weeping Angels. Uh. And so
1: I kept thinking of the Weeping Angels during that. And knowing how um, effective and spooky those characters are in Doctor Who, it just made this even more scary to me. And I thought it was really, really great. I really loved the opening story.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, I, like, I, I might reread it just as like a... I, so I bought this book. I did end up initially renting it, renting it, that's not what you do, taking it out from the library. But I knew I was not going to finish it in a time that didn't make it. So I needed to renew my, um, mm-hmm. renew it like 30 times. So I ended up just buying it. Um, I need to go back and reread the beginning because I feel it's like it's... It's a great
1: short story. It
0: is. And I feel like it could give an aspiring author just a little, a little bit more experience in reading and writing, like that type of... Gripping horror, yeah, like I think how well it's done.
1: this would be a good um a good story, like just the the prologue would be a really great study in pacing and one
0: ooh pacing like pristine
1: mm-hmm.
0: um we also have some smaller characters in this book, Cecile, who's a nurse that's kind of centered around Nick early on, some interesting stuff happening. With her, she eventually does kind of return to Nick and Sam to help out, but to also just, like, confirm some of her own suspicions because she's mm-hmm. also been possessed by the moddit and is worried for her own life. Um We also have his climbing buddy, Augustine, who was with him on that initial... um Not initial, the only Maudit, like, journey up the mountain and is probably the one who's more drawn to it. I feel like Nick, in his manuscript... A lot of the times we felt like he was questioning it and he wanted to stop, but not only the mountain, but Augustine were kind of edging him along Mm -hmm. and making him keep going, even though it was against all his better instincts Mm -hmm. and eventually does end up dying. And I do remember towards the tail end of the book, there's more like spooky scenes where they fall down the glacier and they're on a ledge. And I think Nick is like dangling by his tether to Augustine and, Augustine seems to be dead and he has to climb up and it's mm-hmm. really spooky. And then he spends this night down in this glacier. And I don't remember exactly what happened to cause Nick's face to be mutilated, but I remember it like finally learning it. I did. It, it was a, it was the right payoff, I remember. Like I don't remember exactly yeah. how it happened, but it, it was the correct payoff, like how it happened. it like It all built to that and I felt like it made sense and it worked
1: yeah agreed, and also um the scariest part for me is a big a big enigmatic portion of this story is about how Nick has you know such a bad mutilation of his face that he has these bandages he has to wear, and all of the dangerous things, all of the scary threatening things that happen you know to the doctors and the nurses and then also to Sam happens when the bandages need to be replaced mm-hmm. And, um, when you finally get to see what's underneath the bandages, it's the mountain, it's the mountain face. And there's like a crevasse in his face. And I just remember this like really haunting, really well-paced scene where there's this like red climbing glove that you see starting to come out of his face. And the (gasps) insinuation there is that it's Augustine, the one who was trapped down in the crevasse, but is actually always with Nick.
0: And it's those supernatural mm-hmm. just things that are so like well mingled in with the realistic stuff happening.
1: Mm-hmm. Really,
0: really like really, really good and jarring.
1: Yeah. That's the 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 good horror bits.
0: Yeah, where like everything seems like it's rooted in reality and then suddenly there's this like supernatural element that comes out to spook you.
1: Oh, it's so surreal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: I'm actually when we get into our own topics I have a couple passages I want to read and one of them relates to that
1: nice Well, do you you want to get to that do you have any more characters you want to talk about
0: Um, I think quickly just like the modded this mountain is Mm -hmm. a character it is a thing that's possessed Nick and it is like the curse that emanates from him and affects all the people he comes into contact with and I think that was one of the other like spookiest parts of this book was this whole possession aspect and how Mm -hmm. You're gonna bring it up later, so I'm gonna let you I think you in our notes you wrote about it so nicely. I'm gonna let you talk about it, but just how this mountain possesses the people is like really good horror mm-hmm okay, so some topics that we wanted to talk about. can I start with yes, my do. um marked pages? So one of the things I really liked, like I mentioned, was how Sam is so quippy. And sometimes it's with like super pop culture references Mm -hmm. that make you like, it's always so fun for me to read books that are referencing like other books that I have read within my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, oh, this author has written this book since that book was written. And as a child, that would be like so not how it would be for me because like when you're young, that's not. Like you don't have those experiences. So like I don't know that show, I don't know that movie, I don't know that reference. But now, like mm-hmm. reading more as an older adult, I do see some of these references. And this I thought was a pretty quirky reference at the tail end of one of Sam's journaling sections on page one oh nine of the book. Um this is this is also the pivotal scene where we know this story is supernatural. Um, this is right at the end of the chapter. Something had blown me clear across the room. Birds had come out of Nick's face. That minute was real. My boyfriend possessed by the supernatural. And I was Bella with Balls. My boyfriend, no pussy werewolf or sparkling vampire, but an effing mountain god. <laughs> That's a freaking Twilight saga reference. And let me tell you how much I just cackled at that. Like This scene, this, like, really exciting, scary scene where, like, the mountain is finally fighting back and, like, trying to remove its, like, remove its influence from, not remove, like, but expunge its influence, like, get its influence outside of Nick into the world Mm -hmm. um, where these birds are literally shooting out of his face. And we got got Sam here grounding himself in a Twilight reference. And that just tells you who Sam is, honestly, and I like it. (laughs) <laughs> I was Bella with balls. It's just like, honestly, as somebody who just rewatched the Twilight Saga, all four movies in a single day with his friend when she mm-hmm. was visiting a couple months ago. Nice. I relate.
1: <laughs> I I have a, a, a reference. I don't remember the page exactly, um, but I, I just saw it when I was skimming through the book um, sure. to prepare for this. But it was talking about... Um, that like this was something happening in the book was like legit scary, like Millie Shapiro in hereditary scary. And (gasps) that's such a recent reference. It's a very recent reference. I haven't seen the movie, but I have recently gotten very obsessed with reading about the movie. um, And hearing specifically about how the music in it is effective at, at amping up the horror. Um, So I, I, I know about the things that happen in the book or in the movie. And I know about, you know, the actor, Millie Shapiro, who plays uh, Charlie in Hereditary, and so I can understand at least the gist of the reference of how mm-hmm. s- the levels of scary that this book is supposed to be in. It's supposed to be hereditary levels of scary, and now I want to. I, I actually want to see this be turned into a movie. This I book think that they could. They, I think they could turn Echo into a really effective scary movie.
0: I do too. I feel like it could be like a good like two hour ten minute movie confined like yeah. you don't like. It's one of those books where you'd have to accept, you're not going to get all the stuff you want out of it, but it could be a very yeah. good, like, confined story.
1: I also think that some of the confusing, surrealist aspects of the book that are a little harder to convey in prose would be a lot easier shown. hmm Like the birds coming out of a face.
0: Yep. And Hereditary is actually not a movie I've seen, but it's a movie I really want to see. But just everything I've heard about it, I know it's so freaking scary. Mm -hmm. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what's kept me, like, it's, I feel like it's been on, like, Amazon Prime or whatever. And, like, I've been able to watch it without having to buy it. But I, like, I go to, like, I want to watch something scary. And it's like, oh, but I think that might be too scary, even for me. So I might eventually watch it, but it might be one of those horror movies where, like, I watch 30 minutes of it now and then I watch another 30 minutes of it in a week just to, like, not quite get too terrified you
1: know i'm with you maybe maybe that's something that we can do we can watch half an hour every time That
0: (laughs) (laughs) um so i'm going to read my second uh my second little snippet from the book this was when i kind of finally got thomas i feel like like i read this and i reread it and i read it again i was just like you know what, I kind of love this. Like, I love this writing style and what he's doing with Sam. Um, and I actually, I took a picture of this and posted it on my personal Instagram mm-hmm. um, of this passage in the book. And I had a few people who were just like, what's this book? Tell me what it is. I want to read this. This is neat. Okay. So this is on page 218 at another. It's like, he's really good at like concluding chapters and like a fun and tight, like, cool way that makes you want to keep reading and this is right at the end of another chapter um so uh this is a little bit longer but i'm going to read it because it all kind of builds up nick he was sheer light and heat under those rolling muscles his lungs pumped life into that body under the earth's rolling crust they pumped life into castle rock pumped life into the valley into the creek into the wind like the mod, it pumped life into Nick. He stood there, serene and elevated, in a constant battle with the elements that wanted to bring him down. This was Nick throwing off his civilized identity, embracing the implacable, darkly alluring force of the wilderness. And me. This is who I was. My past and my future full circle. My hands clawed at his face, clawed at the strips of bandage, and started pulling them off like a lover's clothes. Good or bad, I didn't care anymore. I peeled them off him like a skin. I had a boyfriend who devolved into a god. And I had fallen and fallen and fallen and fallen head over heels. And it's just like the horror mixed with the prose, mixed with the... I'm going to use romance so freaking loosely with air quotes around it, but mixed with Mm -hmm. the romance of that is just like really, really gripping, I feel like. Um, And I I really, especially after reading how you described this in the notes... I really love the parallel between the falling that all these other characters experience via the Uh moddits' influence and the type of falling that Sam experiences. Like, there's this whole idea that the only reason Sam hasn't um, driven himself mad due to the moddits' influence is because of how much he loves Nick. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that's the reason it's affecting him differently. So it's just like, it's like triple triply entendre and like how many different things are at play there and i just love and i had fallen and fallen and fallen and fallen head over heels like it's a three word mm-hmm. singular sentence and just like i really like thomas's writing
1: yeah so for context i uh, there are um a lot of people affected by the madi and because it's a mountain spirit, it possesses and haunts people um, with images of them falling, but just falling endlessly. Like there's they they never stop falling, um, and so these characters, a lot of them, see their end when they commit suicide by jumping. And the suicide note that we get to read in the story um, comes from a character as they're about to jump, saying something like. Um, I just I just want to see if the falling will ever end and there's this that there's just this terror in this this statement you know of the fact that they are falling they, they just they have this sense of like for eternity just falling and that's all that their world becomes it just is kind of like tunnel vision and it's just them falling and that that fear of the unknown, of like, you know, what is going to happen if there is an end? Like, where am I falling to? Where am I falling from? It just like hit me. And so, like, the book just became even more chilling. Yeah. <laughs> as a result,
0: that was like finally realizing the connection. Like, really early on, there's like, yeah, Nick's in quarantine in this hospital because all these other people are dying, but it doesn't affect Nick. And you're just like, okay, that's spooky, but, like, it seems unrelated. And then eventually realizing it's all related, and, like, all those mm-hmm. people died because of the mod, its influence and how it killed them and how it's affecting even the doctors and mm-hmm. whatnot. It's just, like, really haunting um, yeah. seeing it all come together.
1: Yeah, it's just, like, that vertigo. And then you start hearing, like, oh, well, Julia's got some vertigo now. And it's like, oh, no, that's the first sign mm-hmm. that they're being affected by the mountain. It's only a matter of time now. She's doomed.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was it was quite the like slow burn, like you said, but also once it got once it got there, it it didn't let you go. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the last thing I want to talk about with this book was that I wasn't the biggest fan of its ending. Like Mm. I I didn't expect it to have a happy ending, but I, I did expect it to be a little bit more solidified almost because i felt like yeah. i got a little prosy towards the end like that was the mm. word i used like felt like i was reading more about ideas than i was about character resolution like i know how the book ended and that i i believe this is how i interpret it that nick goes back up to the mountain never to return and julia is finally found by sam up in the mountain and they kind of come to terms with the fact that like that's where nick belongs because nick is the mod it now
1: Mm, mm -hmm.
0: did you have a different interpretation
1: i felt it was very surreal yes it was very that's a good word for it it was very much playing to sam's free will and his his kink as like the prometheus character because he's given a choice essentially like there's this like almost fever dream hallucination state where he's able to imagine himself up on the mountains peak with nick and you know he's imagined himself with um this coat for for warmth because you know he wants to be comfortable but he could he's also wearing the loincloth That he imagined himself in when he was, you know, uh, this adolescent little gay boy, just coming to terms with what, you know, his sexuality is. And so he's given this option, essentially, like, you know, if you really want this life, you got it. You got it with Nick. He'll come to you every single day and you'll be, you know tied to a rock and he'll come and he'll you know make love to you and um the the birds will peck you if you want like whatever whatever <laughs> kink you're into it's it'll be yours it's like you know your deepest secret desires um and so then it's up to to nick to make that decision not nick to sam i can't believe i get them so confused i wish that they didn't have such normal average names honestly i wish that were both was one syllable bit. Yeah, I wish they, they were a little bit more uh, unique or at least two syllables. But <laughs> but Samuel, he uh, he has to decide like, oh, well, I, I'm kind of waking up from this fever dream and I see that Julia is right there. And I can choose to be with Julia or I could choose to stay with Nick. What is my choice? Like, which which ending am I going to have? And he essentially chooses to stay with Julia and with reality and to sever ties completely with nick forever and i i think this is one of those endings that would feel better um in a movie than it would in a book
0: that's fair and like even d- despite how i feel like i now that you've spoken that it does i do remember that and i do feel like it told it pretty explicitly like so removed from the book i didn't mm-hmm. quite remember that and i also like I kind of understand it, but I also kind of don't understand it, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: it got so ethereal there at the end. Mm-hmm. Like this whole It's really ethereal. Bigger concept. And I'm just like Yeah, it makes sense with how um supernatural this story was that it would have its grip on Sam until the very end. And I feel like this is the type of story where like they're not like it's ended but like it's not ended. Like that's yeah. this type of trauma doesn't just leave you. Yeah. So I think there's some implications there as well.
1: Yeah. I do wonder if the ending would feel different if you reread Echo. If, yeah. If just the act of rereading it allows you to pick out different parts and maybe some underlying themes that are not as easy to grasp when you're just reading it for the first time. There's It's such a dense book. There's so many moving layers. Mm-hmm. And it's so... It's like a very complex tapestry. And I think it's pretty impossible to see the whole picture with just one read. So maybe this is a book that is going to call for a reread in a few years
0: was there i think i got through everything i wanted to talk about was there anything else you wanted to talk about
1: i think this is i think the one last thing i want to say is um i i do appreciate for how complex this story is that the narrators felt reliable Because it's so easy in a horror story to just be like, oh, well, and then there's unreliable narrators. And I think we have two very flawed characters in Sam and Nick as we're reading through their perspectives. But other than what they were purposefully holding back and then later revealing as like, this is the secret that I was keeping. I don't think we really have unreliable narrators. Would you disagree with that?
0: No, I don't disagree. I feel like you're correct. And I feel like what's really done well is they're not unreliable, even though they're both have influences that are influencing like their actions and their thoughts outside of Mm -hmm. themselves. We as the Mm -hmm. reader understand that's what's happening. Like, we know that this isn't Sam. This isn't Nick that's doing this. We know that this is this outside influence that is causing this character to act this way. Like, that was always really clear. So we were never confused as to, is this reality? Is this not reality? Like, we knew that this was reality, but it was like a warped reality.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's just a line that Sam says in the finale where he goes, here we are on the last leg of a journey we started a long time ago. And if I start BSing now, everything up to this point will no longer have any meaning. And I just really like that, you know, you have this book of, you know, personal accounts. Um, and it, it, does, it does give it a, a greater sense of, of importance and of meaning to know that, you know, these characters are being honest in who they are. And what they saw, and it's up to us as the audience to be able to, to put that together into something cohesive.
0: Yeah, I, I'm i glad I read this book.
1: Me too. Yeah, so, me too.
0: I think it was the perfect story for that vibe I wanted at that time of year. And I think one last thing that I did want to mention earlier Mm-hmm. is like, it's just, I think it's very telling about how the story's paced. I definitely remember the first, like, 200 pages taking me like a month or more to read and then the last 200 pages taking me less than a week to read. Like, yeah. that tells you the pacing. That tells you about where you're going to get the most hooked and where you're going to get the most bang for your buck.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Um, But yeah, thank you all for coming on this journey with us as we discussed... Echo by Thomas Oldhuvolt um if there was anything we missed or anything you'd like us to discuss briefly at the beginning of our next episode, feel free to email us or message us on instagram on mm-hmm. Instagram. We are at t b g book club, and I'm pretty active on there, so yeah, all you would get uh in contact with you pretty quickly,
1: yeah. Our next episode is going to be released in December, and we're going to be reading Kiss Her Once for Me by Allison Cochran. Episodes will be released the last Tuesday of every month.
0: And I think I'm going to spend a little bit more time than we normally spend in this part of the episode, because yeah. I've already started reading this book, and I've already <laughs> sent you like a million texts about uh-huh. me reading this book. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited that our furry animal companion count is going to continue to climb,
1: And I'm just
0: also really enjoying this book. Like it is the best type of rom-com in queer literature fashion. So like if you've, if you've just been listening, but not reading any of the books we've been reading, I implore you, like I'm only a hundred pages in, but I'm so excited to finish this book. I think you should read it before it comes. Our next episode comes out and it's like perfectly Christmassy, but also like, perfectly absurd in the craziness that's happening. It's great.
1: Oh, love it. I cannot wait to start it myself.
0: I'm very glad you recommended it. Mm. Okay. So yeah, that was, that was, I. It like we were saying, that might have felt a little bit rockier than our Not last rockier. episode. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> that was totally intentional. Um, that might have been a little bit rockier than our last episode because we last recorded like the tail end of August, and now it's yeah. November seventeenth. So like we've had almost two months removed from our last episode. So we're a little out of practice. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to make sure we got this episode out on time so we could keep our momentum rolling. Um, but yeah, I I I enjoy doing this. Like, even early on I was getting excited just to chat with you again, even though it's been a while since we finished this book. Like Hearing your thoughts brought some of my thoughts back to me, so yeah, it was great.
1: Same, yeah. Thank you so much for for being willing to read this one.
0: Yeah, I honestly i I don't like to do it often, but I like bigger reads like this. And I just got my friend found it. I think at Costco in Mass, the Fourth Wing which is like this new fantasy book that's taking the world by storm that I'm excited was hearing to read. I about it, yeah. Yeah, so I know for January we're going to read a pretty short graphic novel. Yep. So I might post um, Kiss Her Once for Me, take a break from... I, I say take a break from The Queer Lit. I don't know if that book's queer or not. Maybe it is. Maybe I'll be surprised. Well, but we'll I'm excited to read that sometime towards the end of this year, too.
1: Cool, you'll have to let me know how it is.
0: I will. Also, the cover, like... Look if you've not seen the cover, look it up. It's a really cool looking book. We'll do. Um but yeah, did you want to plug any of your stuff? Amy?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitch. Uh, my name is Jaspellier over there, so twitch.tv slash J-A-S-P-E-L-L-I-O-R. I play video games, and uh, I'm building some Legos, and I also do music streams. Um, I'm also the editor and one of the writers over at Panico Press, which is a an indie graphic novel production studio, Um, I've got two graphic novels out with them right now. Uh, The first one's called 12, and the second is called Don't Thank Me, and it is the first story set in the world of The Bonds. And I'm currently writing my next graphic novel as part of NaNoWriMo.
0: Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you, how is that going? Because I honestly have not had time to write anything this month, and it makes me sad.
1: You want to do a December nanowrimo with me because I got sick, and uh, so I have That's about true. a week's worth of words, and then I haven't written anything in a week. But what I'm about very, like a a confined
0: yeah. like winter break writing?
1: Ooh, yeah, let's do that. Because like let's December, have like a, a write-a-thon.
0: Yeah, December is my craziest month because it's like always the most yeah. stuff happening. The students are the craziest. I'm the most um, drained at the end of each day. So Mm -hmm. I feel like in the holidays, yeah, yeah,
1: let's let's do it. Let's have a, let's do a -a Um, write-a-thon. If anybody else is, is right now working on NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, or uh, would be interested in participating in a -a write-a-thon with us, we could do something really casual uh, around your Christmas break and just say holiday break. And if there there is interest
0: in that, let us know via email or on Instagram. We could even set up a little discord server maybe for it if people were interested yeah, that'd be,
1: accountable yeah
0: that'd be awesome
1: cool cool
0: well thank you so much to kevin mcleod for the use of our theme song work um which you're going to hear throughout this episode uh honestly listening through the episodes i love that music i'm so happy it we makes chose smile it every time yeah it's fantastic and you can find more of his work and music on incompetech yeah. yeah that was that was a good episode thanks for recording amy
1: thank you chris
0: And I hope everybody has a good rest of their month and a good December, and you will hear from us sometime after Christmas.
1: Enjoy the next read.
0: Bye, everybody.